All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? Man, so good to see you guys. Uh, hey, listen, before we get started, can I get a selfie with all of you? Do, you? do you mind? Awesome. Everyone just get really close together. Everyone say, say comparison trap. Comparison trap. Awesome. All right, let me just uh, get ready for Instagram here. Um, hashtag getting ready to preach. Hashtag where's Pastor Tim. Awesome. Great. So listen. <laughs> I want to welcome all of you watching throughout the state of New Jersey at all of our campuses as we're in part two of our series, The Comparison Trap. And really, we were kind of looking and exploring how our culture kind of has trained us to compete and compare um, in about everything, right? And Pastor Tim last week kind of took us on a journey to the land of Ur. How many of you guys remember the land of Ur, right? We all want a little bit more Ur in our lives, right? We want to be richer, or we want to be uh, prettier, or skinnier, or uh, smarter hipper, even talented her. We're creating our own her, right, in some of these things here. And one of the things that, you know, as we were kind of exploring in this series, one of the things that we're learning is what Andy Stanley calls, who's kind of helped us shape this series, is that there is no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison, right? Because there's no finish line. We don't know if we've ever finished. All we know is if we have a conversation with someone, we want to think, you know, they're nice, but I'm nicer, right? They're good, but I'm gooder, right? But what this does, it kind of creates this, uh, this kind of uh, lack of contentment that's in our own lives. In fact, uh, last week, Pastor Tim left us with some questions that kind of help reflect and kind of help us dig a little bit deeper. One of those questions is this. It's, who is my reference point to tell me I'm okay? Who is my reference point? What is it or who is it that I'm looking to to make me feel like I'm all right about myself? Is it my family? Am I looking to my family uh, for, the, for that to feel like I'm okay? Am I looking for my business or how much is in my bank account or what kind of house I have? What kind of car do I drive? What is it that I'm looking to to make me feel okay? Because really, at the end of the day, the comparison trap is an identity issue, isn't it? It's all about how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves in light of other people. In fact, often social media becomes like this mirror that we look to, right? We look to it as a mirror to kind of tell us, am I okay comparing it with other people? And the problem is uh, often it's a skewed mirror, right? Because oftentimes the things we post are actually the best about ourselves, right? Like, you know, like for instance, I'm going to tell you a secret here. Like whenever I post a picture, usually it's something like this up here, right? Like it's usually, you know, the best of myself, right? Like I'm well-groomed. That's right. Blue steel, everybody. That's my look. So, you know, I always post the best, but guys, for the first time, you're going to see what I look when I wake up in the morning. See, when I first wake up, I actually look like this. This is an actual picture of me first thing in the morning. It's a ghastly, ghastly sight. And so I spend most of my time trying to figure out how do I make this guy go back to look like this guy, right? And it's all, and I'm not even gonna you know, go through the details of that, but that's the whole idea of, of the comparison trap. Often what we see in the mirror, uh, you know, we see this person in the mirror, and we're like, okay, I gotta fix this hair, I gotta fix this face. And if we fix the person in the mirror, we usually can fix ourselves. And so often when it comes to social media, that becomes the mirror that we look to to feel okay. Like, do, do I have more er than this person, or do they have more er than I do? And it creates all sorts of anxiety and a lack of contentment. And there's actually a name for this. Do you guys know what this name is? It's FOMO. Can you say this with me, church? FOMO. And you're like, is that like a fungus that you get? I think I have it on my feet. No, no. FOMO actually stands for fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. And actually, it has a, de a de 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 dictionary definition in the Oxford Dictionary. It says this, anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by post-scene 
on social media. So according to this, two out of two people have FOMO or struggle with FOMO. That's 100%. All of us, in one way, shape, or form, are struggling with this fear of missing out. Now, in many ways, we've always had this struggle. We've always kind of had this, okay, comparison thing going on, but social media has actually amplified this. So now that we see, we can literally see what people are posting when they go on vacation or they go out to dinner or our friends hang out and, and we're not there with them. And this happens in every age or stage, right? Like you could be a kid and you're like, man, he's got better fidget spinners than what I've got, right? Or teenagers, right? You know, you know, they're constantly glued to their phones and they're kind of looking to their left, they're looking to their right, they're scrolling up, they're scrolling down and they're wondering, you know, like, what are my friends doing? Like, who's at what parties and, and who's doing what? And pretty soon, we're doing this too, right? We're like, who's got a better car than I do? Who's got the newest car? Who's got the newest gadgets? And who's got the bigger house or the nicer vacation? And really what we, we start to do is we breed this discontentment that becomes the comparison trap. And it's a part of maybe every aspect of our lives, or at least it could be. You know, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine named Jess, and she had just finished her freshman year of college, and so she was really excited, uh, but she's also looking forward to, to getting back home because out of all of her friends, she was the only one that, that went away. And, you know, most of her friends either stayed home for community college or they took a gap year, and so she, stayed, she was looking forward to coming back and reconnecting with her friends, and so she's texting them saying, hey guys, I'm back, uh, what do you want to do? And it's radio silence. She's not hearing anything. And so she thought that was kind of funny. And so what she did was she went on Instagram, and she ended up seeing this picture. And she was like, I saw her friends all posted on this picture and says, heading to the lake for the weekend, hashtag lake life. And automatically, Jess just felt devastated. She's like, why, why didn't they tell me? Like, why, why didn't they include me? Like, why did they just leave me alone, leave me by myself? You see, for Jess... Her friends became the mirror that she looked to to feel good about herself. And when she looked in that mirror and it was cracked and it didn't, she didn't like what she was seeing back, she felt unwanted. It really went back to her identity and left her with that sense of FOMO. She, she was like, what am I missing out on? Then there's Jill, who, uh, whose friend, uh, friend Stacy uh, asked her to be in her wedding, and Jill's super excited. But then the more she thought about it, the excitement kind of started to turn a little bit sour in her heart because she just realized, oh my gosh, this is the, the fifth wedding I've been in this summer. Hashtag bridesmaid again. Hashtag dress I won't wear. And, and Jill's kind of processing this, and she's starting to feel bad about herself because she realized that the mirror that she had been looking at was marriage. And she'd seen all of her friends getting married or having kids and moving on, and she felt like her life was on pause, her life was on hold because she couldn't move forward. And left her with the sense of, will I ever experience real and true intimacy? Or am I always going to be stuck where I'm at? And then there was Bob and Linda. Bob and Linda were at a block party, and uh, they ran into Alex's parents. And they were kind of making small talk. They didn't really know Alex's parents really well. Alex played lacrosse with their daughter. And so as they're kind of chatting, they go, hey, you know, where's Alex? I I didn't see her at the party. And they said, oh, well, Alex is actually at lacrosse camp. Bob and Linda are looking at each other. Wait, lacrosse camp? Like, what about lacrosse camp? Like, what, what was that? And Alex's parents go, oh, yeah, I mean, they're having a great time. In fact, here's a picture that we have of, that the coach sent uh, of our, our daughter at lacrosse camp. She's doing really well. And Bob and Linda are going, were, were we supposed to send our daughter to lacrosse camp? And they're like, well, only if she wants to play varsity next year. And then Bob and Linda felt like, oh, this is a parent fail. We messed up. 
And they just started feeling really bad about themselves because the mirror that they had been holding up was achievement. They wanted their daughter to achieve, and they wanted to be a part of that. And when they saw that they dropped the ball, they just felt like, ah, we've caused FOMO in our own daughter. She's missing out, and maybe we're missing out because of it as well. Fear of missing out. You know, I I was even wrestling with this the other day. Um, Maybe a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, you know, um, we found out that uh, Derek... The Huffs, you know, from uh, Dancing with the Stars. Derek and Julianne Huff were coming in town to do some sort of uh, uh, Dancing with the Stars thing. Any of you guys like Dancing with the Stars? You guys are big fans? Okay, my wife's a big fan. If you ever want to watch it with her, you can come over. Um, I watch it because I love her. So, you know, there's some things you just got to do, right, guys? So... You know, they love, you know, they, you know, my daughter and my wife, they really love, you know, Dancing with the Stars, and they love being part of it. And so I went to go look up tickets, because, oh, this could be something fun, you know, for, for mommy and daughter to go on a little mommy-daughter date, and I could stay home and not go. And so I, I go online, <laughs> I look up, you know, ticket prices, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, there's a VIP meet and greet. Maybe we could do all of these things. And as I'm going through it, getting excited about the prospect of really blessing my wife, blessing my daughter, I start to see the price. And I was like, what? Like literally, my heart like fell out of my chest. I'm like, there's no way we, I could afford this. We're trying to, you know, pay down debt. We're trying to save for a house. And this is just way out of like our, our, our limits. And, you know, to be really honest, I wasn't disappointed that we couldn't afford it. I was disappointed because, you know, my, my daughter and my wife would have to miss out. See, the mirror that I was looking at was the mirror of a provider. If I could provide these things, then I was a good dad, I was a good husband, but now that I couldn't provide those things, there must be something wrong with me. And because of me, you know, they're gonna miss out. Because of our financial situation, they're gonna miss out. It was true FOMO. And we get in those places where we just kind of realize that we've been looking at these faulty mirrors, it just kind of leaves us kind of feeling broken. In fact, let me ask you this. What's the mirror that you're looking at right now? What is it that you're afraid that you're missing out on? Are you missing out on a career jump or a career move? Are you missing out because you're not married yet or you don't have kids yet? What is it that you feel is like keeping you from that? You see, in many ways, we have this thing called FOMO, but FOMO is really the symptom. Really, there's something deeper that's at work. And what's deeper at work is really what I think is just a lack of contentment, right? Because in FOMO, what we do is we compare the best of what we see from other people on social media, right? And we compare it to the worst of what we know about ourselves, right? Everyone's got these great pictures that are curated, and they've you know, probably taken several of them and posted the best. But we know our own shortcomings, don't we? We know the areas where we fall short. We know the places that we're broken. In fact, you know, we see pictures of, of families with you know, perfect kids, beautiful houses, always immaculate, and of course, beautiful green lawns. And you're thinking, my kids have behavioral issues, right? My house is always in a state of chaos. Like I, it's like I can't keep the thing clean. I turn around, the kids pulled everything out again, right? And for some reason, my grass is never green. No matter how much I water it or, or, or how much fertilizer I put in, the grass really is greener on the other side. And we have this lack of contentment because we're looking in a distorted mirror. We're looking left, we're looking right, we're scrolling up, we're scrolling down, when really that's not where we need to look to for a sense of identity. That's not where we need to look to to get our sense of worth and value from. If we want true and lasting contentment, we need to start looking to Jesus as our source. 
You know, as Pastor Tim was saying, what contentment is, it's this idea that we have this God-given sense of enough, that Christ is enough. If I'm in Christ, I've got everything I need. Not only is Christ enough, but I'm enough. I'm everything that God has made me to be. And I don't need to be looking left, right, or scrolling up, or scrolling down, because I can simply rest and be content in who I'm made to be. So how do we move from a place of competing and comparing to a place of contentment where we can simply rest in the knowledge of who God has made us to be? Well, I do think that we can get there. In fact, I think that the Apostle Paul actually has, got, has kind of like figured it out. He's, he's hacked his way into it, right? So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Um, if you have it on your phone as well, you can go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to kind of take a look at how, what Paul's figured out in this sense. Now, before we jump in, I'm going to give you a little bit of background of what's going on in the book of Philippians. Philippians is actually a letter written by Paul. It's a thank you letter. There's this church in the city called Philippi, and they provided Paul with a financial with some financial help. They also gave some help to some other churches. And so Paul's writing them a thank you letter. And in this letter, he's kind of giving them a secret. He's like, guys, here's how I was able to figure out contentment. And I want to share that with you guys. So in verse 12, it says this, or verse 11, it says this. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be, what's this word? Content, whatever the circumstances. So what Paul is saying this is, you know, you're reading this, you're thinking, wow, Paul, like you must be in a really good spot that you're writing this letter. You must be, you know, at Disney World where things are great. Or maybe you're on the beach in Miami getting a tan because life is good. Or maybe you're on, on an airplane flying to Europe uh, to kind of tour around. No, Paul's actually writing this letter in an Ephesian jail cell. If Paul had Instagram, he'd post something like this with the hashtag blessed. <laughs> this is Paul's reality, right? Pa Paul's not living in a posh hotel. He's staying in a dark jail cell, and he's there. And yet, in the midst of this, and he's in jail, and he's suffering, and he's struggling because of his walk with Jesus, he says this in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being, what's this word again? Content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, Paul's like, guys, like, listen, I've struggled. I, I've, I've known what it's like to have it all, and I've also known what it's like to have nothing. I've gone through good times, I've gone through bad times, but I've been content at all times. And Paul is saying, guys, I know what it's like to go through all this. But if you ever look at Paul's Instagram feed, it is unfiltered. It is a stark reality of what it means to follow Christ. In fact, we get a glimpse of what Paul's Instagram feed looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's kind of walk through a couple of these scenes real quick. In fact, it says that Paul was beaten with whips. Hashtag blessed, not stressed. Not only that was he beaten with whips, but he was also pelted with stones. It says, hashtag stoned, hashtag not like that, hashtag still trucking. I know what some of you are thinking. He was, he was thrown with stones, he was shipwrecked. He was shipwrecked three times. Hashtag shipwrecked, hashtag thrice blessed. Not only that, Paul was mugged, hashtag survived, hashtag thug life. Not only that, Paul was also left hungry, tired, cold. I mean, Paul has gone through some of the worst. These aren't the things that you'd put on Instagram. On our, on our feeds, we usually try to keep things pretty light and lighthearted and fun. But Paul is like, no, this is what it really means to follow Jesus. It doesn't always mean things are going to go well. In fact, it means sometimes things go horribly wrong. But yet in all of this, Paul says, I'm content. I know that Jesus is enough, and I'll be okay. I know I'm enough. And at this, you're probably thinking, Paul, how, 
How can you say that, Paul? How can you go through everything you've gone through and still be able to say that everything's okay, that Jesus is enough? Like, what's your secret, Paul? Paul's like, oh, I got the secret for you. And he, ha- he shared it with the church in Philippi. He's going to share it with us. You guys ready for the secret? You ready? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. All right, here's the secret. Let's all say this together. It says, for I can do what? Everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, for Paul, the secret wasn't a what, it was a who. See, Paul wasn't looking up or looking down. He wasn't looking to his left or looking to his right. He wasn't going, what's John doing right now? I should be doing what John's doing. Or what's Peter up to right now? I really should be doing more of what Peter's doing. He was looking straight at Jesus. Jesus was his mirror. He could look to Jesus and know things are going to be okay because he could trust in Christ. And the same way when Jesus becomes our mirror, when Jesus becomes our point of reference, things can actually change in how we see ourselves and how we see other people. When Jesus becomes your mirror, you're no longer concerned about what other people are thinking or what other people are saying. Amen? When Jesus becomes your mirror, you no longer have to be afraid of the things or the obstacles that are coming against you because you have the power of heaven on your side. Amen? When Jesus becomes your mirror, you no longer have to be afraid. You no longer have to hold back. You no longer have to be consumed with the things that you don't have. You can focus that you have everything that Christ has given you right here, right now. Amen? Jesus becomes your mirror. See, that's the trick with social media, right? We start looking to that to kind of give us what we need. But remember, when Jesus becomes your mirror, Christ is living inside of you. And just like Paul, Paul didn't take his cue from the crises going on around him. Paul took his cue from the Christ living within him, amen? And that's our birthright. So here's the big idea if you're taking notes. The bottom line is this. Take your cue from the God who saved you. Take your cue, as in, this is your mirror, this is your reference point, this is how you see the world, from the God who saved you. See, Paul's not measuring his success anymore about how many likes he gets on Instagram. Paul's not measuring his success anymore about how many Bible verses he's memorized, or how often he prays, or how spiritual he could be. He's measuring his success based on how much more like Jesus is, his, is he becoming. Is he, is he parenting more like Jesus? Am I showing compassion and patience to my kids? Am I, am I being more merciful to people? Am I taking more risks for the kingdom of God? Am I becoming more compassionate? Am I becoming more loving? See, Paul is now looking with Jesus' mirror, so success is all about what Jesus is doing in his own life. And when you are looking to Jesus for your measure of success, and as he's transforming you, what happens is you start to find this deep, 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 deep reservoir of faith. This deep, deep reservoir of joy that seems unending that you are going to need when you go through the hard times, amen? That you're going to need to go through the times where things just don't make sense. And that's exactly what Jordan experienced. See, Jordan was the mom of three kids, her and her husband, beautiful children. Uh, but then things kind of went, went south a little bit when she experienced this devastating diagnosis that her middle son uh, actually had autism. And so with Jordan, I think like many of us, she had this, this picture that if she put all these images on Instagram of, of her son getting a medal in T-ball, uh, graduating high school with, as a valedictorian, as uh, going to an Ivy League school and, and getting married and all these things, and she had all these images in her mind. Now all those things just kind of hit a brick wall. And when she received that diagnosis, when, when it seemed like everything was fall, falling apart, her faith kicked in in a way She'd never experienced before. Let's watch Jordan's story together. 
Even walking into the appointment for the diagnosis, my husband and I had talked on the way there. I was like, hey, just FYI, if we get a diagnosis and we walk out, that I would probably blame myself or, you know, say I did something wrong or, you know, just as a mom, you just take blame. Like if, if something goes wrong with your kids, oh, it's gotta be my fault. And literally we walked out of that office and yeah, I just turned to my husband and fell into his arms and You know, asked him to remind me it's not my fault that we didn't do anything wrong. So we just prayed right there um, in the middle of the parking lot, just prayed over our sweet little Jackson that his life would bring glory to God and that we as parents would not be overcome with feeling like it's our fault. Our scenario looks different. Our lives look really different when you have a child with special needs from all aspects of life. Um, sometimes we can't go to certain restaurants because we have a child who will completely panic <laughs> in that environment. Um, and we can't go on vacations right now that are elaborate because we can't afford them. Seeing everyone on Facebook post things on these, you know, Disney vacations or here we are at the beach or taking multiple trips throughout the year. And you know, that in itself opened up just this whole new uh, world of seeing firsthand what other people are doing and able to do and what their lives are like. And then in walked immense envy and jealousy and just wishing we had a different life right now than what we were given, um, which we just quickly realized is just a really unhealthy perspective because there's nothing wrong with anyone posting things on Facebook. It's all my heart and my interpretation. It's hard right now to give everything over to the Lord. It's, you know, being on my knees with a child who is so frustrated that he can't tell me what he wants to have to get down on my knees in that moment and ask out loud, you know, Lord, help me be patient with him in this moment right now. I need help. And just acknowledging um, a lot throughout the days, I can't do this on my own. And then if I can just sit for a few minutes and rest and be reminded in his truth that, okay, he loves me. He has gifted us with a child with autism and he has gifted us with two other daughters. You know, we just need to rest in that and love him and try to bring him glory throughout our days. I think one of the things in Jen's story, when she, or Jordan's story, when she's saying, you know, it's hard looking at Facebook and Instagram and seeing all these pictures of these nice vacations and these restaurants that we just couldn't go to. And it became the doorway to jealousy and envy. But one of the things I think she, she was able to realize was, you know, this really has nothing to do with what other people are putting up. This has everything to do with, with what's in my own heart. It's really about the stuff in my own heart. And when she's able to come to this place where she realized that, you know what, I don't need to take my cue from the crises around me, but actually I can give thanks to the Father. Because my family's a gift. My children are a gift. My son with autism is a gift. And you see, she could have let the fear of missing out what all these other people were doing rule her and, and crush her heart and literally consume her from the inside out. But instead, she chose to combat FOMO with gratitude. With gratitude. You want to know the secret to fighting FOMO? 
It's cultivating gratitude. And, and gratitude is when we can look around at how generous our God has been with us. And we can look around at our lives and say, look how generous God is and how he's cared for us. In fact, that's Paul's secret. That's how he's able to stay content in all things. And he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. See, Paul is able to rejoice in some of the darkest places because he remembered what Jesus had done for him. He remembered how Jesus had taken him from darkness and brought him into light. See, if we want to spring in the comparison trap and stop looking to our left or our right or scrolling up or scrolling down, we need to look to Jesus who saved us, who is transforming us to be the best version of ourselves that we could ever be, to be the biggest blessing to as many people possible. And it all comes through gratitude. Because what comparison has us doing is, you know, we're looking left, we're looking right, we're looking outward. But what gratitude says is we need to look upward. And when we have the filter, the, heaven, the heavenward filter, we start to see things differently. And we cultivate gratitude. Because, guys, the truth is, I wake up every morning with a really bad case of FOMO. I do. And so the first thing, you know, and sometimes it actually gets worse when, you know, I grab my phone and I start, like, strolling through stuff, and I, I start to get envious and jealous and all these things. But there's been a practice that I've been doing for the past two years that's actually helped with my FOMO. And I, maybe it'll help with yours, too. Uh, one of the things that I do is I keep a journal. And what I've been doing over the past two years is every day I write down three things that I'm grateful for. In fact, let me show you a page for my journal here. And uh, these are kind of my, my top three for this day. The first is my thoughtful and fun-loving wife. My wife is always in the top three. Like, she literally makes me a better person. Like, it's amazing. And so I, I'm always thankful for my wife. One, like I said, she makes me a better person. But, you know, I also remember the days, like, when I was, when I was single, and I was really struggling with my singleness. And I was like, you know, I, I really don't feel complete, God. I feel like, you know, I, I wish that you brought someone into my life. And so I'm grateful that God brought my wife into my life. Now, if you're here today and you're single, and maybe that's where you're at. You're kind of in that headspace where maybe I'm not finished. Maybe there's this pause in my life. I just want to encourage you. There's no such thing as pause on your life. God is using your singleness. He has a plan for you in your singleness. If you surrender it to him, he's going to use it in some incredibly powerful ways for whatever, however long that season lasts. And so I thank God for my wife. I also uh, thank God for good books to read. You know, I am a book nerd. Maybe some of you have picked that up. I'm always reading something. Because whenever I read a book, there's always a line or a phrase or something in there that literally is transformative for my life, kind of makes me a better person. And then also, I'm thankful for fire pits in the summer. One of my favorite things is when I'm with some friends around a fire pit, laughing, talking, telling stories. Um, it's just something I am grateful for. And every day I try to write three things down because it helps me realize that, you know, it's not about what's on my left, it's not about what's on my right, but it's about looking upward to see how God has been so generous with me, how he's taken care of me and my family and how he's still doing that today. He's still generous with us and he's generous with you. I love how Ann Voskamp puts it. Ann Voskamp says this, and when I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic, I make a place for God to grow within me. I make a place for God to grow within me. You see, gratitude is actually the soil where we can nurture the image of God. Gratitude is, is the soil where we can nurture the image of God within us. 
where we can actually take a, our, see our identity isn't from anyone else but from God. So we can take our cue from the God who saved you. Not look left, not look right, not scroll up, not scroll down. That is where God wants us to be. I know that for some of you, you know, you, you look on Facebook or you look on Instagram and, and you can't help but see, you know, oh, they're going on another vacation, they're doing another trip, and that jealousy and that envy rises up. But what God is telling you is, stop looking left or right. Look at the path that I have for you. You write where I want you to be. Don't let FOMO steal your joy, steal your contentment. I know for some of you, maybe you look at where you are in your career right now, and you're thinking, man, I wish I had made different choices, and I wish I, I went left, or I wish I went right, or maybe I should have gone up, or whatever it may be. Just remember, God is saying to you, you are so much more than just your career choices. You are, you're so much more. Your calling is bigger than that. Trust in me, and let me lead and guide you in this. And maybe for some of you, you're in that space where uh, maybe you don't have the relationship that you're hoping to be in, or you're starting a relationship over, and you're wondering, am I missing out? Am I missing out on marriage? Am I missing out on kids? Or am I missing out on getting the next level of whatever that looks like? And what God is saying is, I'm with you in the midst of all this. Maybe it doesn't look the way that you thought it was going to look, but all of this is part of my plan, part of the purpose I have for you. See, Jesus died for you. And your purpose and your calling for your life he died so that you could have that. And if, if, if God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you on the cross, think how much he loves you. And he's a good father. So he's not thinking, man, I really wish you're more like that person or that person. He just wants you to be you. You know, when I die one day and I get to heaven and I'm in the presence of God, God's not going to go, you know, Nathan, why weren't you more like Tim? I know that's what some of you are thinking. <laughs> but he's not going to ask me that. God's not going to ask me, Nathan, why, why weren't you as nice as Mother Teresa? Why, why weren't you as, as smart as Albert Einstein? You know, God's not going to be doing any of that. He's going to look at me with eyes of compassion and say, Nathan, why weren't you more like Nathan? Why weren't you more like the guy I made you to be? That's what he's going to ask me. He's going to ask you, why weren't you, you? And so this is where Jesus is in the process of training you and I. To stop looking left. To stop looking right. Stop scrolling up and stop scrolling down. But to take our cue from the God who saved us. Take your cue from the God who saved you. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you, that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are enough and that Jesus is enough for you and every resource is at your disposal. He's given you everything you need for life. He's given you everything you need for godliness. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come right now. And we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, Jesus, you are the one that gives those gifts. And so, Father, I just pray right now that you'd help us stop looking left and right. Stop scrolling up and scrolling down. Stop letting social media give us our worth or take it away. But let us look to Jesus. You're the one who started our salvation. You're going to finish it. 
you began a good work in us, and you're not going to stop until you're done with it. We don't need to compare about how we're not like this person, how we're not like that person, how we're not like gifted like they are. But Lord, we just need to focus in on the journey you've called us to. God, one day all these things are going to be passed away. All these things are going to be gone. And all that there will be is you and us. Help us to have a bigger vision of you in Jesus' name.